0: Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about opening our eyes to a new view of life. I'm McKay Christensen, and I'm thrilled you joined us today. You know, this podcast is a bit different from others you may listen to. It's not a daily news podcast, it's not crime junkie, or a podcast dedicated to a social cause. This podcast is born from a deep desire to help us all live a happier life, and the deep belief that a powerful way to make that happen is to open our eyes to new ways of seeing life. So, hopefully, this podcast today can give you a new perspective, fresh paradigms, and empower you with tools to think and live better. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about acting, living, and doing things despite our fear. I'd like to talk about Doing It Afraid. Janine was the youngest of three girls, and as a girl, she loved anything active or competitive. By the age of 10, she won several sprinting championships, and encouraged by her parents, she tried every sport imaginable. Yet by the time she reached high school, she quit competing to be with friends. But two years into her college experience, she met a friend, a second-year law student named Davin and David and Janine trained together for a triathlon. Before too long, Janine won the New South Wales Triathlon Championship in Australia. Her interests then turned to other endurance sports like cross-country skiing. And like before, Janine thrived. She got the opportunity to train with the Canadian team and set her sights on the Olympic Games. She qualified and was put on the Australian Olympic team. In May, before the Olympics, one morning in Castle Hill, near Sydney, Australia, Janine said goodbye to her mom, pulled on her helmet, took a drink from her water bottle, and jumped on her bike, and with her training partners, set off for a six-hour bike ride. That day, there were 20 riders assembled to climb the Blue Mountains, a grueling course that was often part of the training routine. As the climb began, the team naturally spread out according to their ability and Janine rode near the front of the pack. Janine said, after an hour of pedaling flat terrain, we approached the foothills of the Blue Mountains. This was the part of the rooster ride I relished. I loved the hills. My training ethic and fierce competitiveness had earned me the nickname Janine the Machine. Committed to making each training day count, until then, I dug deep and pushed fatigue aside to tackle the challenging grades of this ride. As we climbed further into the mountains, the temperature dropped and the crisp mountain air burned my lungs with every deep breath. Approaching one of the final hills, I saw a lone cyclist ahead of me, John. I pushed to catch him and saw that he was flagging. Hey, mate, how you doing? I asked as I drew alongside. Feigning a casual manner that belied the burning sensation in my legs, I didn't want him to see that I, too, was nearly spent. I'm starting to bonk, he replied. Bonk is a term used by athletes to describe the exhaustion that sets in when the body's energy stores begin to deplete. A long-distance athlete's nemesis. Well, she said we exchanged a few words, and then I continued up the hill. There wasn't far to go, only a few miles, and then we would enjoy an afternoon of fine food at the rooster. That was all the incentive I needed to keep going. I stood in the pedals and pumped my legs, determined to lead the group. I sucked in the cold air, lifted my head, and relished the sun shining on my face. Then everything went black. What Janine didn't know at the time was a reckless driver slammed into her and ran her over. She suffered a broken neck and back, lost five liters of blood, had severe lacerations to her abdominal area, Her right leg was ripped open, her collarbone and five ribs were fractured, and she suffered multiple serious internal injuries. As her parents arrived at the hospital, they talked to the doctor. Mr. and Mrs. Shepard, the doctor began, Janine has broken her neck as well as her back. He hesitated before resuming his update, but that is not our main concern. She has serious internal bleeding, which we aren't able yet to stop. We don't know exactly where it's coming from. What the doctor also didn't tell the shepherds was that Janine had suffered serious spinal cord injuries, but the immediate crisis was her internal bleeding, which the doctors could not control for days. Janine and the doctors fought for her life. During this fight, Janine said she was in a place where she could choose to live or die. I found myself in a holding pattern, she said, another world between death and life. My body had been both my vehicle and focus of my identity. And if I were no longer Janine the Machine, then who was I? Should I return to my broken body and the possibility of life in a wheelchair? With all the limitations of yet unknown disabilities? Well, faced with the prospect of life forever altered by my injuries, I felt compelled to let go. I was afraid of life without the full use of my body. Yet, I didn't. Something held me back, and a pull that would not release my spirit As much as I willed myself free of the constraints of my broken body, I was unable to do so. Well, as the days went on, there was one setback after another. Injuries to her kidneys and other organs threatened her life over and over again. Then started the surgeries on her broken back and bones. The feeling in her legs diminished, and she wondered if she would ever walk again. She spent over eight weeks flat on her back with restricted neck movements. With no way of emptying her bowels without the feeling in her lower body, this had to be done manually by hospital staff. Then days later, a blood clot in her lungs threatened her life, and on it went for months. But soon she was standing with help and doing PT every day. As her recovery continued, she said to her mother, I'm going to learn to fly. She had no prior experience in aviation, and during her first lesson, the instructor said, While on the ground, we steer the aircraft with our feet. Look at the floor and you'll see two pedals. By pushing with either your left or right foot, you can control direction and keep the aircraft following the painted line on the taxiway. Would you like to have a go? He said. But Janine didn't have the strength, control, or feeling in her feet. But over the coming months and years, with a lot of hard work, Janine started to be able to kick in the pool, then walk with help, and made improvements in her bladder control as well. And while still remaining a partial paraplegic, she was ultimately able to walk again and has three children. She gained her pilot's license within a year of the accident and went on to gain a commercial pilot's license, then an instructor's license, and eventually became a trained aerobatics flying instructor. She also became the first female director of the Civil Aviation Safety Authority. Shepard has written six books about her experiences. She finished her education with a bachelor's degree in human movement and education. She took up dressage so she could represent Australia in the summer Paralympics. She was also the torchbearer at the Paralympics in Sydney. She is currently completing a PhD at Griffith University in Queensland. Her research is in the area of resilience, disability, and positive psychology. Now, Of all the things you could learn from Janine, I learned the most from one simple sentence, which she said she learned through the years of struggle and trying. This is it. I still feel fear, yet I am not afraid. This is an amazing concept, that you can feel the fear and yet not be afraid to move forward. And the truth is that fear is everywhere. In our work, we may be afraid to contact a new prospect or give a presentation. Or you know you must double your effort to really affect change in your business, but you're afraid of the sacrifice involved or the potential disappointment that could come your way. In our families, we may be fear of being direct with each other. In our personal life, we may be afraid to take on change that is needed to overcome a habit. You know, someone once said that courage is not the absence of fear in our life, but it is moving forward in the face of fear. Joyce Meyer said, Courageous people do what they believe in their hearts they should do, no matter how they feel or what kind of doubt and fearful thoughts fill their minds. It is impossible for two things to exist in the same space at the same time. This is the second law of physics. Elements or pieces of matter cannot occupy the same space. Likewise, two thoughts cannot occupy the same space at the same time. The minute you focus on something, you push away other things. And the same goes for faith and fear. The minute you engage faith, you push out fear. Faith is a powerful force. And I've noticed that the more you exercise faith, the more your life is filled with it. The minister Charles Stanley wrote, Basically, there are two paths you can walk, faith or fear. It's impossible to simultaneously trust God and not trust God. And I believe one of the most powerful gifts that God sends our way is faith to try. But it's up to us to use, to lay hold of that gift, to become better in life. You know, in the New Testament is a wonderful story about a ship and faith that most people are familiar with. After Jesus performs a miracle of feeding 5,000 people, He instructs his disciples to board a ship and cross the Sea of Galilee while he remains behind to send away the multitude and to pray. Well, there on the sea, a windstorm comes up during the voyage, and the small ship in which the men were on was tossed amongst the waves. To add to their distress, the disciples were confronted with what they thought was a spirit they could see approaching, and they cried out in fear. What they saw was actually Jesus walking on the water towards them. Although Jesus announced that it was he that they need not fear, some on the ship were skeptical. Peter said, If it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And Jesus responded, Come. Peter left the boat and, like Jesus, walked on the water. But partway, Peter's attention was diverted from his master to the buffeting winds and waves around him. His faith began to weaken, and he began to sink helplessly into the water. He cried out, appealing to Jesus for help. And after clasping Peter's hand and assuring his safety, Jesus mildly chastised Peter. O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Then when Jesus was on board the boat, the wind ceased. Now, sometimes when I hear this story shared, I hear people refer to Peter as having failed because Jesus asked him, wherefore did thou doubt? But I don't think that's what happened, nor what Jesus was saying. I believe this experience was a significant source of faith to Peter throughout his life. I imagine that Peter looked back on that event many times and said to himself, I had the courage to walk out onto the water, and for a time did the impossible. I believe it fed his faith in himself and in his Lord. I also believe Jesus was not chastising Peter when he asked, why did you doubt? I believe he asked the question like a teacher would ask. So in answering, Peter could learn the power of keeping his faith about him in life, especially in times in which there's commotion around him. Peter would need this lesson later in life as he captained the ship of the Lord's church. Now, I love this story Because I believe you too can do the impossible if you don't doubt or give away your faith. You may not walk on water, but you will walk in places you have never walked before and in ways you never thought you could if you keep your faith and don't give in to your fear. I believe that you have the ability to do what may seem impossible in your life. Perhaps you're needing to change. Don't doubt. Perhaps you're attempting something remarkable you have never done. Don't doubt. Perhaps you're doing something again that you've done before, but this time you need to rise and do it better. Don't doubt. Feed your faith, and your doubts and fear will starve to death. You know, Robert Kriegel wrote, We don't have a clue as to what people's limits are. All the tests, stopwatches, and finish lines in the world can't measure human potential." When someone is pursuing their dream, they'll go far beyond what seems to be their limitations. The potential that exists within us is limitless and largely untapped. When you think of limits, you create them. I believe that's true. You can do what you set out to do, be who you desire to become, and create a life that will be rewarding and remarkable. So in the end, as St. Augustine said, Faith is to believe what you do not see. The reward of faith is to see what you have believed. Now, sometimes we know we need to change jobs or friends or circumstances, but we fear the unknown. We fear what it will take to move forward without certainty or security. In 1843, the Oregon Trail was the newest road in North America. It extended from Missouri to Oregon. It was a dusty wagon trail that would be used by thousands of people who were seeking greater wealth and freedom. And if you were headed to Utah or California or Oregon, you used this trail. Among those traveling on the Oregon Trail that year were Ole and Marin Peterson. In 1857, they left Denmark, their life, their family, and came to America. Ole, Marin, two older boys, and new baby Anna Christina. There they followed the Oregon Trail for the last 1,400 miles of their journey. They left Denmark because they had faith that a better life was waiting for them. A new country, new language, uncertain circumstances didn't stop them. The Petersons could not afford a team of horses or oxen, so instead they teamed up with 80 other families who would travel the dusty, muddy trail, pushing a wooden cart containing food and bedding. They averaged 10 to 12 miles a day. The wooden cart had a long handle that extended in front of the cart and Oli would typically push the cart from the front using the handle while Marin would push the cart from behind. The conditions were pitiful. The carts carried limited supplies so the pioneers were exposed to the elements, carried only a minimum amount of food and relied on the hope of finding animals along the way to eat and supply stations to buy food. If anything went wrong or delayed their journey, the consequences were harsh and certain. One out of every 20 people on the trail died. Oli wrote in his journal, June 24th, traveled 18 miles, very faint from the lack of food, only allowed about three quarters of a pound of flour each day for our family. Made a child's coffin for another family today, aged two and a half years. Ola used to say they struggled through the dust. Look up. When you look up, you see the horizon. When you look down, you just see the dust settle. Well, weeks into their journey, their oldest son, Soren, died. It was heartbreaking. They wondered if their faith had been misplaced. The fear of losing another child was more than they could bear. When they reached the Wyoming border in early September, little Anna Christina became sick with dysentery. She was so tiny, had lost so much weight, she turned white as a ghost. And she finally died. Her mother was beyond heartbroken. Maren blamed herself and could not find peace. Was it faith or foolishness that caused them to undertake this impossible journey? And to make matters worse, they were in Indian territory and couldn't stop to dig a grave in the frozen ground to bury the baby. The fear of attack was too big. But Maren couldn't leave her child. She knew the prairie wolves would devour her little body. Finally, they wrested the baby from Marin's grip, wrapped it in a blanket, and left it beneath a prairie bush. They pushed on. At dusk later that day, they stopped to make camp. Marin laid down to sleep under the cover of a small cart, but there was no sleep. Marin knew her faith to complete this journey and start a new life was based on inspiration from God. And if he inspired her, that he could provide a miracle. And despite being afraid of attack and being afraid of disappointment and being afraid of the darkness, Maren got up in the cover of that darkness and crept back the six miles to find the body of her precious baby. Well, before the morning sun rose, Oli and others noticed Maren was gone. As they prepared to search for her, Maren walked into camp holding her baby. And more miraculously, the baby was alive. When Maren found her, she was breathing. Anna Christina and the rest of the Petersons would survive the journey. By the way, Oli and Maren Peterson are my great, great, great grandparents. You see, too often, when things get tough, we wonder whether our faith is well-placed. We question, and we want to give in to our fears. And this happens whenever we try to do something remarkable. Some of you listening to this podcast have recently started or Restarted a business. Some of you have decided to make a big personal change. And perhaps a few weeks or days into the start of it, you hit roadblocks and discouragement and begin to question your faith. Don't doubt. The power that comes into your life as a result of your faith will make you a better person. Living by faith is powerful and joyous and creative, it makes everything else richer. You know, the scripture says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good and pleasing and perfect will. The world would have us be afraid, afraid of the economy or new technology, sickness, failure, and a host of other things. But the scripture teaches us that the pattern followed by everyone else What we see on social media, what we read in the news, is not our pattern. We are transformed, changed, lifted up when we renew our mind. Now, I believe that renewing your mind means that you're doing away with unhealthy thought patterns and replacing them with true godly thought patterns. I believe that is part of opening our eyes to see that if we start anew, we put on a new view, adopt a faith-filled perspective, then we can find ourselves. We can find our identity. It's what God has in store for us, what his will is for us in our life. And when we find this, we find happiness. When we're afraid, we need to put our trust in something so we can find the strength to overcome that fear. Marin Peterson put her trust in a decision she made and in God to help her see that decision through. Perhaps your trust needs to be in your family, your team, your strengths, your decisions, and your God. Now, in leading the organization I'm leading, I've had these moments of trust that strengthen my faith. And they typically happen like this. We're facing a problem, a failure, or just a tough decision. And despite the fears all around me, we make the decision to move forward with faith. And then something will happen. One of my team members will do something remarkable. A team will step up to help us reach our goal. A leader will take responsibility and see the decision through. And all of a sudden, I'm filled with this trust in my team and the fears diminish. Do you trust your team? Do you believe in the strength that good people can bring into your life? Well, perhaps the place where we see fear manifest the most is with parents, Parents who are afraid their teenagers will make a bad choice. Parents who doubt the strength of their children. Parents who try to protect their children from everything that can go wrong in the world. And I think it would surprise all of us parents if we had faith in our children rather than fear of what mistakes they might make or circumstances that may come their way. Why is this important? Because faith is power. It's contagious. Fear is also contagious, by the way. And your children will learn either faith or fear from you. And I suspect the reason that we're raising a generation of kids full of fear is because we don't show them our faith in them, and they feel what we portray. You know, one of my favorite movies of all time is Dead Poets Society. It was released in 1989. Too old for many of our children to have seen it. The original script was written by Tom Schulman based on his experiences at the Montgomery Bell Academy in Nashville and with his teacher, Samuel Pickering. Originally, Liam Neeson was chosen to fill the role of John Keating as the teacher rather than Robin Williams. Other actors considered were Dustin Hoffman, Mel Gibson, and Tom Hanks. The director, however, wanted Robin Williams. In fact, when they started filming, he kept out the studio's executives. The story is about an English teacher who tries to get his students to open their eyes to new ways of seeing themselves in life. He seeks to do so by exposing them to literature and the writings of great poets and philosophers. However, his teaching methods are criticized by the establishment, and he is forced to move on from the school. However, he changes the hearts and minds of his students in the process. On the first day of class, he reads together with his students the famous poem by Walt Whitman, "O oh, Captain, My Captain. The poem is a metaphor for the movie itself. The poem begins with, "O oh, Captain, My Captain, our fearful trip is done. It is a poem about the ship having weathered the journey, and the flag still flies from its mast, but the captain has succumbed to the journey, which is exactly what happens in the movie itself. The students have found a new ship in life, a new view, and each begin to captain their own ship, even though the teacher, the captain, gave his life for the class. In the final scene, having succumbed to the establishment and the critics and the fears of the school's administrators, the teacher, played by Robin Williams, packs up his books and is preparing to leave class. One student, risking punishment, stands up and shouts, Oh, captain, my captain then another, and then another, as if to say, you have given me the power not to live out of fear, but to become captain of my life, to open my eyes and think differently. The same goes for you and your team. Will you captain with faith and lose the fear? In the words of Captain Jack Sparrow, the seas may be rough, but you are the captain. No matter how difficult with faith You will always prevail. It was Rudyard Kipling, the English nautilist and author of The Jungle Book, who said, Of all the liars in the world, the worst are our own fears. The Apostle Paul once wrote to the Hebrews, Cast not away your confidence, which has great possibility of reward. So, there is one principle that can and does help us get rid of fear in whatever we're attempting to do. John wrote, There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. I believe this is true. You know, years ago, I was at a meeting with author Hiram Smith, and Hiram invited a man from the audience to join him on stage. He began by describing an I-beam, you know, the steel beams used in construction. He offered the man $20 to walk across an imaginary I-beam on stage, a line four inches wide and about 20 feet long. So with no real fear, the man walked with one foot in front of the other, the length of the imaginary beam. Hiram gave him $20. Hiram then asked us to imagine that he placed the I-beam about three feet in the air. With the crowd buzzing in agreement, the man said he'd be willing to walk across that I-beam. Hiram's tone became more serious as the challenge became more difficult. He moved the imaginary I-beam to the top of the Hilton Hotel, spanning the distance between two towers. Hiram asked the man if he'd be willing to walk across the I-beam placed that high. Hiram upped the ante saying, It's beginning to mist and the winds have really picked up. Hiram then said, I will give you $10,000 to walk across. But the man responded, no. In fact, there was no amount of money, no material possession in the world that would make him do it. Hiram asked the man if he had children and he said, Yes, I have a son who's 11 and a daughter who is 9. Dad, Hiram said somberly, your kids are in danger. They're being held by a thread at the other end of that I-beam and will soon fall to their death. The silence in the room was palpable. The man stood staring at Hiram and seconds later, a tear leaked down his face. That's not even a question, he said. My children are my world and I'm not walking across the I-beam. I'm running. Across it. Then Hiram stated the obvious that there is power in love. Love casts out all fear. Now, do you love your team, your family? Do you love your God? Do you love yourself? Whatever you love, you will sacrifice for and give yourself for despite your fears. Teams that are committed to helping someone else to a purpose bigger than themselves will work despite fear. Children who love their parents. People who love God, citizens who love their country, will act despite fear. So John had it right all along that love allows you to act in the face of fear. Now, here's the interesting thing. Yes, love casts out fear, but fear casts out love. This means that when we give into our fears, we love less. We care less. We place fear at the top of our priority list. Fear also casts out intelligence, creativity, and goodness. So remember, as we end today, Janine Shepherd, who said, I still feel fear, yet I am not afraid. Remember Peter, who despite his fears, tried on his faith, and as a result, not only did the impossible, but set up a life filled with confidence and faith. Remember Marin Peterson, have faith in your decisions. Don't let fear keep you from them and finish what you started and place your faith in what you love. Walk the I-beam and you will find the happiness you are seeking. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.